Yesterday we started thinking about the soul. We looked at how we are souls with bodies. The soul is that eternal part of us. The soul is what will be saved. We'll get new bodies, but we won't get new souls. It's that part of you that makes you who you are, but it's also that part of you that's connected to and in between everything you feel, think, believe, and do. The soul cannot be separated from the rest of who we are because it is who we are. At the same time, there is more to us than our soul, but it's all intertwined. But, you know, the goal of this podcast, the Overflow podcast, is not to merely disseminate more information. Information is important for the foundation, but my goal is actually to help you apply what you already know to our lives as a community of Christ. So then, how do we love God with all our soul? Well, I have some practical thoughts I'll be sharing with you over the next several days. They aren't in any particular order, except that I am starting with one that is perhaps the most tangible, and that is our attitude. How do you love God with all your soul through your attitude? Now, I can't prove this, but I have come to believe that our attitude is an expression of our soul, or the condition of our soul. Of course, it has to do with our hearts and our minds as well, but all of those emotions of the heart and thoughts and beliefs of the mind get mixed together in our soul, and they come out of us as attitude. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. While the Bible makes distinction between soul and spirit, there's a lot of overlap between the two ideas. They're not necessarily the same thing, but there is a lot of connection. Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The love of God is meant to affect and change every aspect of who we are. God does not desire to simply change one piece, but wants total transformation, and this includes our attitude. I've always said that worship is an attitude, and we choose our attitudes. It's true, both parts, especially that second part. We don't like to believe that it's true, but it is. In every situation, we choose our attitude. Many of us rarely do this. Why? Because we're simply operating how our corrupted state works. Sin corrupted God's code in us, and because of that, we tend to react to situations with wrong attitudes without pausing to evaluate and consider how we should best respond. We just react without thinking. We, we just respond without thinking. We also suffer from a victim mentality. We, we think that our attitudes are dependent on our surroundings and our circumstances. If everything around us is going the way we want, well, we have good attitudes. If everything around us is falling apart, then our attitude falls apart with it. Instead of allowing our identity in Christ to determine and define our attitude in any and every situation, we allow any and every situation to define our attitudes and ultimately allow it to affect our identity. Loving God with all our souls will and must have a great impact on our attitudes. So what should our attitude be? Well, there's actually a very clear scripture for that. Paul in Philippians makes an explicit statement about attitude, especially as it pertains to relationships. 
And relationships tend to be the biggest source of a bad attitude, and Paul actually gives us the silver bullet. Are you ready for the silver bullet? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Can't be any clearer than that, right? You must, we must, I must, we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. When you read that, what comes to mind about Christ? Think about it. I mean, he was God, but he didn't use his godness to manipulate his surroundings and situations to his own advantage and for his own benefit and ease. He could have. He certainly had the power to do so, but he didn't because he was God. Instead, he gave up the privileges that were rightfully his. He gave up his rights and took the humble position of a slave. Even though he was Lord of all creation, he became one of his creations. He didn't enter into creation in a way that drew attention to himself, laud and honor to himself, but he came in the most humble way. And even though he is God and we are the ones who are supposed to be obedient to him, he actually became obedient to death, our death. Even though his name is life, he was obedient to our death. And even though he was God, who always was and always will be, he became obedient to death. He became obedient to an end, our end. Why and how did Jesus have this attitude towards his ministry and mission on earth? Well, it's because of this. It was determined by who he was and what he was sent to accomplish. See, he didn't even have a bad attitude while he was hanging on the cross. Why? Because he knew who he was and he knew why he was sent to earth. How about us? Do we know who we are and do we know why we're here? Let me help. You are, this is who you are, this is who I am. You are a child of God. You have an eternal father and your eternal father is in heaven. And he brought you into his family and has saved you a seat at his table. You are royalty. Your father is also a king and that makes you a prince or a princess. And he loves you. He loves you. Man, does he love you? Do you even know how much God loves you? You, you're, uh, you are loved, and this love that the Father has for you is your identity. That is who you are. You are loved with a real, everlasting love that cannot be rivaled in our human existence. That's who you are. And you are here for a reason. You are here because God has a plan for your life. You aren't an accident. You are not a mistake. God does not make mistakes. You have been fashioned and formed by God on purpose for a purpose. And he had something in mind when he created you. He wanted you to become his love, to become love, to to become the love the Father has filled your heart to overflowing with. That is what he has in mind. He, He wants us, he wants you and me to become true, real, eternal love. 
not just for your own attitude and feelings, but to become love so that those around you might be able to taste and experience the love of the Father through your life. Become love. Become love so that those imprisoned by the facade of love that this world offers can be set free into God's true love. Become God's persistent love, walking alongside people as they learn to become God's love, which we call making disciples. See, if we can come to know with our minds and believe in our hearts that these things are already determined, it will affect our attitudes and we will learn to love God with all our souls. And instead of being tossed back and forth by everything that comes our way, we will stand in the midst of it all with our attitudes, de- attitudes determined in advance and shine like the stars in the heavens because it is God shining through us. 